Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey there, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. Hey, we've all heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out. And that is especially true when it comes to the data that you're collecting from your employees and your franchisees. Some of the data is accurate. You have good, thoughtful people working on your team, and some of the data is not. The problem is, how do you determine the good data from the bad data? And more importantly, how do you get the bad data out of there so you're not basing your time and your analysis and your decisions on the garbage? Well, Ops Analytica has solved that for you with our new data accuracy scoring algorithm. Within this algorithm, we can determine which data is good, which data is bad. And when you get into the dashboards, you are literally one click away from filtering out all the garbage and focusing all your attention and energy on analyzing the good data. It's a game changer for anybody who who believes in data-driven decision-making. So please check us out at opsanalytica.com and get a demo today. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I am back with another interview today. Welcome to the show, Madhav Kastoria. How are you doing, Madhav? All good, Tommy. What's up? Oh, nothing, man. So uh, you're you're calling in today from India, right? Yeah, New Delhi, India. Uh, Oh, it's wonderful. I can't wait to hear more about what you guys are doing over there. Uh, so here's the deal with the podcast. I ask the same five questions to everybody, uh, and I want to get started. So let's get, get going on question number one. Explain what you do today, and then take us through your career progression from your first job until today. Today was an interesting day. We had about, it was totally a packed and hectic day. I had about eight, ten calls since the morning. Uh, came back to Delhi. Last evening, uh, catching up on what, what's happening in the city. And yeah, I'm back again at 9 p.m. working. I think today's going to be a long night as well. Um, in terms of uh, career, I am still in my first stint. I won't say it's a job. I built this company six years back. It's been six years into building this company. Started off as a small takeout store called Beijing Street in September 2015. Uh, went on to building the second store, the third store. It was in 2017. We transitioned from being takeout stores to cloud kitchens. Um, by 19, we were running four cloud kitchens across New Delhi. And uh, 2020, COVID impacted us. Uh, we had to pause operations of all four of our stores. That's when we evolved to becoming a cloud kitchen platform. We're like a Hyperlocal fulfillment platform. We help brands expand across geographies using our uh, platform and our network of fulfillment centers. Okay, so yeah, so let, let's dive into that. So you guys started off as takeout stores, then you grew to a couple of units, and then during uh, twenty when you were locked down with COVID you actually built the software to manage cloud kitchens is that what i'm hearing um yes software is one part of it so it was a software and the network of fulfillment centers we basically partner with distressed operating kitchens distressed uh, kitchens with idle capacity we partner with them we plug in large enterprise brands who wish to scale up uh, our major model is a stock and sell model and, and and currently today we're partnered with about 65 odd kitchens okay so you're basically kind of like uh 
a restaurant, I'm going to use a weird analogy. I don't know why I just thought of this. Uh, a restaurant life preserver, right? I've got a restaurant, like, and I'm doing, you know, not, my business isn't great. But I've got a kitchen. I've got cooks. I've got refrigeration. I've got the whole deal. So you can come. Do you go out and actively look for these kitchens? Or are you marketing saying, hey, if you're in a restaurant that needs more sales, contact me and we can get you trained up to start making these five or six other uh, restaurants food uh, for delivery only. Is that basically what's happening? I think it's both in, you know, it's both outbound and inbound. Uh, we get a lot of uh, inquiries and inquiries from a lot of these kitchens who wish to partner with us and become a host in our network. At the same mm -hmm. time, we always, we always have an in-house supply team going out to market, finding kitchens because the end of the day it's an early stage company and uh yeah. people don't know us right so it's very important sure. for us to go out there in the market and to find good supply uh sustainable supply and good performing supply uh, so that our attrition rates are low and our, our performance uh, is good with the brands right after all we're a platform sure. and we're a marketplace so we have a brand on one side and we have a fulfillment center on the other side so it's very important for us to choose the right partners in the right geographies. Of course. Uh, let me go on from there. So, okay. So I, let's say I was a curry restaurant, just to, uh, from an in, uh, from the perspective of India, I have a curry restaurant and then you come to me with a fried chicken concept. How do I know how to make that fried chicken like per recipe spec, right? So it's not just about, you know, getting someone who can now make fried chicken, but they also have to know how to make my fried chicken. So how are you, how is that training going on and how is that, all that kind of stuff being facilitated? Sure. So that's very simple. We've kind of divided this entire model into two aspects. The, the first model is the stock and sell model. So for example, we're partnered with Baskin Robbins in India, right? Okay. We, we, we've signed about 125 stores across six cities with them. Format is very simple. They plug in a freezer at all of our stores. Uh, yeah. They deploy the inventory of factory sealed ice cream tubs. When sure. an order comes for, say, a Mississippi mud pie, the fulfillment center simply takes out the Mississippi mud pie, packs it yeah. into a carry bag, and dispatches it to an incoming delivery rider from any of these platforms or any of these logistics companies, right? So sure. this is a simple stock and sell format where there is no involvement of any quality or any skill-based process at the store level. And the Got second it. is we have a waffle brand and we have pancakes brand and we have wrap brands and burger brands on board, right? Here the format yeah. is very simple. We give them a dedicated area of 50 square feet within the kitchen where they're allowed to set up their small little kiosk and they're supposed to bring in one crew member per kitchen per shift in order to operate the brand as a platform. We do not take care of maintaining the quality of the brand if there is a skill involved. If there is a skill involved, the brand the brand is supposed to plug in one crew member who's essentially the cook. He's the guy who assembles the the, the burger. He's the guy who dresses the pancakes. He's the guy who who wraps the entire wrap and and, and 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 that's how it works. As a platform, we don't focus on quality. We focus on scale. We give we give we give access to speed to all of these brands. Ah, okay. So it's not that 
so okay so my curry restaurant it's not my cook making those waffles what i'm doing is saying hey look you now get a 50 square foot spot in my kitchen where you can execute your brand but if your guy doesn't show then you know not my it's not my hassle i'm giving you this amount of walk-in space or i'm giving you this region cooler and freezer and i'm giving you these counters and you get your employee to come work at my restaurant but now but for whatever that small fee is right like i can go out and i can be representative across so many more places and i don't have to go buy a whole building and train up 30 people i got one cook who goes to one building and just makes my brand out of that building i got it two pointers here very simply um point number one it's very important for every founder to understand what is the core deliverable in the business right for us the core deliverable was to give brands access to geographies and access to speed a brand can sure. literally start 25 stores in 25 days and service an order in less than 25 minutes on our platform, right? Our core competencies don't lie in quality. Therefore, we do not, you know, we, do, we don't engage in, 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 in hand, handling and managing the quality of the brand and its products. Point number two, uh, for any brand to be scalable, it is very important for them to have compact concepts and scalable concepts. So it never supports the best interests of any of these brands to kind of have large menus which require 5, 10, 15 people in the kitchen. Uh, sure. We always onboard brands which have compact concepts which fit into 50 square feet, which are highly scalable uh, and the processes are defined in such a way that only assembly happens at the store level. And yep. these brands uh, already have a certain scale. We're very choosy of the brands we onboard on the platform. We currently have, we're supporting the growth of about 20 odd brands and we have another 30 on the wait list. And our team is very uh, choosy of the brands we work with. It We always onboard a brand after a certain scale. The brand should have achieved a certain scale. Either it's a national brand or it's an international brand or it's a legendary brand or it's a funded brand. We won't onboard very early brands because we work on a revenue share model and therefore, uh, uh, therefore, it's very important yeah. for us to choose brands which are demand-generating brands. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't need a guy that's in there taking up space and he's selling five things a day and, you know, you went through all the hassle to get this person, you know, implemented and they're looking at you as a way to grow their brand. They need to grow their brand to a certain level before they can come in or you're not going to get any sales out of it. We see that a lot in the U.S. with these strip centers because a lot of times in the strip, like the strip malls, I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but, you know, it's just like a little like, you know, five or six storefronts, like with a parking lot, basically. And uh, what happens is, is that they usually get a base rent and then they get a, a percentage of sales. And so what you'll see happening is uh, that five year lease period if that brand's not performing and they've got interest from a brand that might have more sales, they'll jack the rents up really high and basically force that brand to leave their strip center so they can replace it with a different uh, concept that will have a higher sale so they can make more money. Well, that makes sense at the end of the day. You know what? We always tell our brands, we also have a certain minimum guarantee that we charge, right? But we always tell our brands, even our 
in the fourth month of business if i end up just getting my minimum guarantees then it doesn't make sense for us to continue with you minimum guarantees are only for month 1 month 2 month 3 month 4 when you're building your business right when you're just yep. when you just started out but minimum guarantee is not supposed to be paid forever we we basically like to work on revenue shares minimum guarantee is just to cover bare minimum costs yep that's great okay so this is uh, this is a very exciting concept i don't know if anyone is doing this in the states right now do you know Mm, there are people doing the dark store model. There are people doing the the cloud kitchen model, uh, like Travis is doing out there. But there's nobody exactly yep. doing a fulfillment center model, uh, just for F and B. As far as I know. Yeah, I but I so I have some uh, friend who's the CEO of a sub chain, and they're working with a cloud kitchen. people and they're going to be able to get up to 150 locations he's got like maybe 20 or 30 now but the difference is they're doing it in these cloud kitchen facilities that they're building which is very capital intensive right even if you go take over like an empty retail store and then you convert that into 30 cloud kitchen operations that's a very expensive proposition uh but what i think it's really unique about what you guys are doing is is that you're utilizing existing restaurants which i have said from the beginning every restaurant is a cloud kitchen like i don't understand why we're going and building all these cloud kitchens everywhere when every single restaurant in this country is has the potential to be a cloud kitchen so i i it just seems like another case where the guy who sells all the restaurant supply equipment is the only one that's going to end up making money on this deal because he's the one that's going to fund all that but then you know if they're not successful there you know then we just have that many more kitchens that aren't being utilized fully also um over and above the point that you mentioned that every restaurant is a cloud kitchen that's also just part of the story right now what we are also uh doing is that we are partnering with hotel chains because you know hotel chains also have kitchens within them and they too are yeah. distressed and they too are underutilized they're only used for the morning buffet or the or 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 lunch service or dinner service so yeah. out of 24 hours the kitchen ends up being used only for about 6 7 hours and works only for 25 30% capacity and, and can be put to better use and that's where we come into the picture and we start optimizing the kitchen oh wow uh, that's uh, yeah you're so right how many of those you know in our world it'd be like the fairfield inns how many of those like sort of moat their hotels but they have that you're right they have a breakfast buffet they literally only make prepackaged food in there anyways they're not like making fresh eggs they're reheating eggs they're reheating uh sausages or bacon and they're making some like they're unfreezing pancakes right they're not even cooking pancakes but they and you're right they're there from like probably 5 to 11 6 hours and then that thing sits dormant until you know the next morning so what a great way to do like a lunch and dinner business out of there lunch and dinner type items out of that kitchen and now the hotel's got some additional revenue coming in um and you know it's just driving yeah you know, it's great and most of those are generally at the back of the building so you could even say hey look you need to come through the pool entrance or whatever right to come in here and pick all this stuff up delivery driver so they're not clogging up your lobby 100% oh, wonderful 100%. the location doesn't matter 
as long as the the infrastructure is neat and it's workable i, I don't think the the location of the cloud kitchen really matters you know what's interesting about that and i'm just trying now that you said that i'm thinking to myself where are other places that have kitchens that no one's using schools like if you were like inner city schools like a school district right mm -hmm. schools might serve breakfast and lunch and granted there's some other uh things you might have to do with schools or, or universities same thing like you know i wonder or like a community college for instance like you know maybe that would be interesting because there are so many kitchens that are just used for such a limited period of time and as long as you kind of logistically figured out how you don't you're not disruptive to maybe the other core business the other core thing that's happening there like you obviously don't want 25 uber eats drivers sitting in your lobby waiting to pick up stuff that would interrupt the service flow of the hotel but if you can route them through a different hallway or something who cares right then you're just making money 100 percent. oh man that is just awesome i i am like i you know occasionally you you run into people like we we're all building companies you know we're not all of us but you and i are both building companies and stuff and like you know you meet people and you see great ideas and whatnot and you just go oh my gosh if this guy can scale the heck out of this thing it's gonna go nuts and and i'm like listening to what you're saying and, I, and i'm thinking oh man if you guys can grow this thing it's just gonna go nuts so i'm right. super excited for you yeah and it's um, always it's just a start you know yeah it's just been about a year since we're building this platform we're currently in two cities two major metros in in, in india and we have a network of about 65 watt kitchens supporting the growth of 20 brands we're a small team of about 30 odd people i think it's it's a long way to go right now yeah but you also are at a good point too where if you wanted you know, it's always, but for guys like us, it's always how much do you bootstrap versus how much do you raise, right? And what are the, what are the parameters of your business, you know? Um, and and can you basically can you take that money and turn it into like a rocket ship? Because that's basically the only way you're going to be successful at raising is if you're at that point where if I could just hire 700 people, we would be you know all billionaires. But um, but I mean, you know, I feel like you're at a good point where like, you know, you've got some traction, right? And you're able to show growth. And so maybe it is time to raise or look for funding at this point. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's really interesting. You know, I was interested because I was at a, a guy, I, I was at a thing for my daughter last night. She plays soccer, football, uh, European football, soccer. Here. And uh, she, uh, this guy has invented a training facility for soccer. And, okay. um, and so it's like, uh, it's like a little like, uh, I'll say a pod, it's not really a pod, but it's a pod. And it's all about uh, working on your footwork and making accurate shots and passes. And he's like, you know, if you spend like an hour doing this pod, you'll get like a 1000 touches. Whereas if you like you're just practicing normal soccer a couple of days a week and she's eight years old, right? So it's not old, you know, that might take a month for you to get a thousand touches. So he's like kind of figured out this way. And he's like, you know, he's literally building version two of his pod while the kids are playing in version one. And he's like, I'm already working on version three. And I'm just looking at this thing and I'm going, there is a soccer coach in every city in the world, every 
every like soccer league in the world who doesn't like their day job that would buy these pods and start their own soccer training business and be the happiest person in the world. You know, I mean, yeah. I was just like, and the girls were loving it. He's got, yeah, he's got the yeah, it was great. It was so cool. It's just yeah. neat to see, like, you know, that's why, this is why I love the podcast because like, it's just neat to see people with a passion that are inventing something and taking, because so much of the most successful stuff in the world was something somebody else was doing, but two degrees different, right? But it was the two degrees that went from, oh, you know what I mean? Like they did that great, but if it was just slightly a little bit over here, it would be even better. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, brain explodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's awesome. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So that was number one. You said you've been, uh, what you've been doing here. Let's go to question number two. What's the big project or initiative that you're working on right now within your business? So what do you, what's yeah. that one thing you're hyper-focused on? Yeah. So basically currently we're focused on scale, you know, um, everything yeah. in the company, everything in the venture revolves around scale, whether it's partnerships, whether it's supply, whether it's, building all the tech to accelerate the speed to scale, whether it's hiring more team members and colleagues to the team to, uh, you know, add more bandwidth or, or, or it's, 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 it's speaking to more brands or strategic partnerships with hotels. Everything again has a vested focus in terms of growth, growth yeah. again, in terms of growth as well, uh, multiple metrics, but the key metric that we track is uh, the revenue, right? number yeah. of brands increase again that has a direct impact on the revenue number of kitchens increase it has a direct impact on the revenue so everything is focused on revenue sure that makes complete sense um cool uh what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night i feel it's it's very simple uh, uh the one thing in this industry or this space is that this space is very raw right it's been evolving in the last five, 10 years, but it's very raw. And it, and it, it still seems like day one for all of us where we're building out a cloud kitchen company. Uh, we've gotten the pleasure of witnessing this entire space from the lens of a kitchen trying to sustain and from the lens of a brand trying to scale, right? So uh, it still seems like day one uh, and the industry is yet to, uh, you know, stabilize on one model that, that works well for all stakeholders. And we're all trying to figure that out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's absolutely true, too. It's like, I'm sure that in some kitchens, you know, you thought you had a good partner, but then, you know, that guy ended up impacting their sales negatively. Maybe he was in the way. Maybe, you know, the person that was working there wasn't uh, responsible, wasn't cleaning up, wasn't doing their, they weren't being a good, you know, whatever, tenant, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and yeah, you know, I mean, you making know, sure my two cents on, on, on that is that that's life, right? So be it yeah. employees, be it kitchen partners, be it brand partners, uh, you engage with five, one leaves you, you kick one out, you're left with three. That's always how a, sure. how a hygiene cycle works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course, a lot of learnings throughout the journey as well, you know, when partners leave you or when you got to kick out partners because of performance. It's an ongoing journey. You keep learning and you keep improving. You keep tweaking and you keep refining. That's how it works. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been looking at, like in the U.S., 
So I used to work for a, a brand called Quiznos, which uh, was a sub chain. And when I got there in the late 2000s, and mm-hmm. I think they have a pretty they have a pretty big footprint overseas. Like I think that's probably where they do better, actually. Yeah. Um, they uh, we had like 5,000 U.S. units, and then you know they, they are known in the U.S. as one of the biggest brand uh, implosions ever because they went from 5,000 units and. You know, I think probably today, realistically, they're under 300 units left. Um, and, and they were a Colorado company and I live in Colorado in the U.S. So um, but so I, I witnessed that. And then now we're seeing Subway, which is a which was our biggest competitor when we were at mm-hmm. when we were at Quiznos. And Subway is the largest number of units in the world, right? But they've been losing units left and right. They're doing a big brand refresh right now, whatever it is. And what I've been looking at too is, you know, how do you take over a Subway or a Quiznos or any of these strip center restaurant chains and utilize that space to do exactly what you're doing? Like, because right now you're, you're you're putting yourself into an existing business, but there are, there are people out there that are like in us, like there are people in a Quiznos right now that if you walked up and said, I'll take over your rent, they'd be like, here are the keys. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? So how do you convert those spaces to at a minimum cost to become what you're trying to do? Which I feel like your model is perfect for that because they already have a walk-in, you know? So they've already, and then they've got counter space. So you could, almost stop working your core business if your core business wasn't really performing and just take on something like what you guys are doing and uh and maybe you can make more money yeah so my thoughts as follows um we're already partnered with a couple of high street brands uh they may not be chains as big as subway but we're already partnered with local chains out here which have high street presence they have these yeah. high street stores which have nine-year lock-ins, three-year lock-ins. They can't move out, but business is not the best. And they have idle capacity. Idle capacity not only in terms of real estate, but in terms of infrastructure and in terms of manpower, right? That's where yeah. we enter the picture. We sign an in-kitchen services agreement with them. We plug in one, two brands. We operate those brands, and, and that, that increases their bottom line. It increases the passive income for them, right? So we're already yeah. doing that. Um, in terms of the larger acquisitions that we have currently, we're speaking to hotel chains because, you know, carpet areas of hotel chains are slightly larger. Therefore, you can plug in more number of brands in hotel chains yeah. rather than plugging in brands in small little high street stores because they're anyways paying higher rentals, right? Um, and, yeah. and, and, and spaces are also not too large. Therefore, uh, our first focus is hotel properties for now and on geographical expansion to add more and more cities. Sure. Yeah, I feel like you guys need to go to Subway in the U.S. and be like, hey, because so it's here's my theory on Subway right now. So in the U.S., Subway has done this whole brand refresh, right? They're calling it their their whole menu refresh and they're, you know, they're trying to address some of the criticisms they've been getting around the quality of their food and whatnot. But Really, in my mind, and I don't haven't seen any of the numbers, but when I think of Subway, like I don't ever think that the food was the problem. I think that AUVs for the franchisees got so low that the only way that they could even like stay in business was to cut the to cut the team, cut everybody. And so now 
you go in there and it takes 25 minutes to get a sub because you got one person working, you know what I mean? And the restaurant's not clean and it's just struggling. And I feel like, and I feel like that's true of Quiznos as well. Whereas they just, you know, uh, if you keep dropping units, it just impacts the brand's ability to do anything, you know, you can't reverse it. You know what I mean? You don't have any money to do any marketing. You have to let people go on innovation, all the things that would make you part of a chain and would allow you to potentially get, dig yourself out of a hole are gone because there's not enough revenue at the corporate level. And then at the store level, it doesn't matter whatever corporate does, because if they don't staff the restaurant correctly and they, which they're not going to do because they're losing money, you know what I mean? Like you're just in this, like, you know, you're basically just going down the toilet bowl, if you will. And there, and really neither side is in a financial position to uh, fix the problem because, but something like what you guys offer could be a way for these brands that are failing, but that are hanging on because they don't know what to do to try to inject some additional revenue into the store level operations, which would then in, maybe would give those owners enough extra capital to staff correctly, right? So that they could execute their core business better as well. Does that make yeah. sense? You know what I'm saying is, in case of Subway, now my thoughts on Subway are very clear that when you're trying to build out an international brand, and a brand that involves the skill of preparing the sandwich. Yeah. You cannot go the franchise route. You cannot have 500 owners, 500 different franchisee owners in a geography operating subway in different formats on yep. different companies and different PLs. You know, it's yep. very important for any FNB brand. You have a very strong control over quality, consistency, and service. And that's how our platform also solves not only for the kitchen, but mainly for the brand. The real customer is the brand out of the brand in the kitchen, right? So for yeah. a brand subway, for them to take up 50 square feet spaces across the country, plug in just one crew member and plug in one buddy trainer for every 10 stores and ensure the quality service and consistency is maintained is very easy. They get to book the entire revenue because there is no franchisee in the middle. Uh, they yeah. have control over operations and they have control over quality and consistency and, 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 and service. And, and, and that's the one reason why, uh, when all of these other brands, national and national started growing, that's when the downfall of subway started. Yeah. And, 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 and that's only because of the franchisee system, you know, the franchisee system works in all other spaces. It can be the automobile space. It can be, it can be, it can be, it can be the beauty space. It can be the fashion space. It can be all of these spaces, you know, there, there's no skill. It's a, it's a pure play inventory model, but there's no skill based process involved at store levels, right? Here in, yeah. in, in food, there's always a skill involved and, and creating multiple layers, multiple independent layers in the entire workflow uh, only leads to an to an increased possibility of of error and and that's where i feel uh, the growth of the brand gets hampered well and you know what's really interesting too is that the brands in the us they will franchise the independent operators but when they go overseas they will only work with large established 
companies. Yeah, master you know franchise. what I mean? You know, they, won't go so, to, they won't go to single, single operators. Like, yeah. they go to large uh, franchises and they'll go to large operators for one master franchise in the country. And, and, exactly. and, that, and that works very well. That works very well. Yep. But in the US, they'll go to independent mom and pops, you know? And so it, it is, a, and I, I love how you put that because um, it is so true. Like, and it, it's, you know, what you lose is when you have, when you get a franchise, especially in the US, where you have these franchisees that are mom and pops, they are single unit operators. Um, you know, what you, what you lose is like, you just become okay with a three star rating on Yelp, right? Which is a, a big review site. Like you're just like, these brands are just okay in the USA with basically mediocre, okay performance. That's all they, that's all they expect from these people um, because they don't have, there is no way to manage that consistency unless you own the restaurants, right? Because my platform, just so you know, is a restaurant operations platform. So what we basically do is uh, manage the repeatable processes in the daily operations of a restaurant. So what happens is, is that, you know, you get in in the morning and then you, you follow this checklist and then you go uh, and it's in a time window and you have to get it done. And then the next one might be your food safety check before lunch and, you know, your cleanup and then your dinner and all those things. So we manage all that repeatable process for people. Um, but like what we see is with the corporate chains, they can get their people to do the checklists because they have uh, they have a uh, a carrot and a stick, if you will. They have an incentive they can control. If you don't do what we ask you to do, we're going to fire you. But with the franchisees, it's the why uh, the the use a American colloquialism. It's the wild wild west out there. Who knows what's happening? They put one corporate employee for eighty plus restaurants, and then you know. But these restaurants represent your brand. So if you actually want to have a good brand that people want to go to, then in theory, you would want more control over those um, over those locations and they have zero control over them. You know what I mean? And, and it's and, also, and, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 keep going. I, I was done. Yeah, so it's also to do with the skin in the game, right? Uh, when you take a master franchise for one geography or for one country, uh, there's a certain investment that goes into setting up this entire infrastructure, this entire network of, of restaurants, right? But yep. when you just deal with one mom and pop show, uh, it's just like a very small investment. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, the operators lose interest. And when they start losing interest is when the downfall starts. Yeah. So, and 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 the terms that are signed with the brand have lock-ins. And if the brand and the kitchen is not performing, or the store is not performing within the lock-in, it starts the the, the interest is lost and the downfall begins and that's when it impacts the overall brand. So therefore the yep. model of franchising in FNB is flawed uh, just purely for the reason that there's a lot of skill involved. You know, yeah, I haven't, you, you've articulated that beautifully and, uh, and it, I'm just, this has been a wonderful conversation so far because I, I, it is, it's skill. That's mm -hmm. what, and I mean, you can dumb it down as much as you want, but every level you dumb it down, your your quality goes down too. What made you unique and great goes down. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because we in the US right now, there's a big issue with raising the minimum wage. And then I don't know if you know this or not, but in the US, uh, 
you know, when Biden came into office, uh, President Biden, he extended or the him and the Congress extended uh, federal unemployment benefits. And so what's happened is we are basically essentially paying people to stay home through the end of September right now. And it has put it just it has just wrecked our uh, it is wrecking our businesses right now because restaurants suffered the most during the COVID lockdowns because we are a place where people gather, we go inside, we eat a meal, and that was all shut down. And if you didn't obviously have a good delivery or takeout program, you know you were really in trouble. Or if your food didn't travel well, you know. So a lot of restaurants came out of all of our COVID stuff in the spring, looking to get back to business, open their doors, have a good summer and start making some regular revenue again. And then we paid everyone to stay home and it's always been hard to staff restaurants anyways, but then now you can make more just being on unemployment than you can at work. And so like it's, it's impacting the entire industry you know, you'll go to places and they'll be half capacity, not because they don't have the customers or the demand, but because they don't have the staff. And it's not just the restaurant employees, it's the delivery drivers. It's everybody in the ecosystem where we've got like clients where their people aren't managing their 10 restaurants. They're getting a truck and they're delivering pizza crusts to those restaurants because the delivery drivers, they can't hire delivery drivers at the distribution center. So just to stay open, their guys, instead of actually working on taking care of customers, are actually just getting food to the restaurants. You know what I mean? It's just Correct. crazy here right now. Right, right. I mean, likewise, even here, you know, it's become very difficult. Uh, all of the manpower went back to their villages, went back to their towns. And and and, and when some things started opening up, uh, it was very difficult for restaurant operators to hire crew back. We faced a lot of downtime in terms of our cities. All the kitchens that we had partnered with post the lockdown for them to hire crew back again to to kind of restart, resume operations. It was it was a task. It took time, but I think now the situation is slightly better and things are stable. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. They mm-hmm. um what's it called? Um yeah, that's great. So Let's go on to question number four. What is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? And I guess that could be tech or that could be hospitality. I'll let you pick. Um, in terms of tech, I think the industry is doing better than what it was supposed to do uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, one being COVID, uh, you know, things got accelerated. People learned how to operate cloud kitchens uh, sooner than they were actually supposed to learn. Uh, in terms of what the industry should do, uh, uh, you know, that it's not doing currently, is that today anybody who has a little disposable income just decides to start a food business. Different levels, of course. You know, there are people who start food businesses from home, and then there are people who just put capital and start a cloud kitchen, then there are people who start small cafes, and then there are people who start large cafes and dine-in restaurants, right? People aren't patient. People aren't patient in the F&B industry. People want quick money. People don't invest in building the brand, and they don't invest in retaining the customer. Uh, Operators are always running after acquiring customers and playing the rat race of acquiring customers from other brands. They never focused on 
on giving good quality and giving good service to retain the customer. And that's the gap I feel in the Indian F&B ecosystem where, uh, where a major part of the industry is running after quick profit and quick money and, and, and not looking at building sustainable businesses out of, out of F&B. It's one of the most interesting parts of this business. And, and I remember even learning that in uh, hotel restaurant school is that everybody has a good recipe for one thing at their house, right? Like, or their family has, they make like four things really great. So they go, I can start a business around this. And, and that's also why so many of these businesses fail. And you're right. The whole point of having a brand, the whole point of having a business is so that you like what separates a business from a dinner party is being able to deliver the service and the quality consistently, whether it's in one location or 10,000 locations, you know, worldwide, that's it. a brand is just a promise of consistency, right? Of whatever you said your brand is and that no one's willing to do that. And that's the hard work is the day-to-day -day operations. And nobody gets that, that like, it doesn't matter if you have the best POS or you have the best, uh, the best decor or the best this or that. At the end of the day, this is a business about dotting I's, crossing T's and executing consistently every single shift, every location, every day. No one wants to do the hard part. They all just want to chase the easy stuff, right? Drives me nuts. Yeah, I mean, further to my previous point, um, building an F&B business is more about giving a consistent service, and 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 this entire business is around service. Service basically comes from consistent quality and not good quality. Whatever your quality is, if you acquire customers, uh, if they like the quality, they come back to you again, and they come back to you again the third time is because. There's consistency in the quality and the service. And I feel it's very important for operators to focus on, on consistent quality and consistent service. And, and, and that's how brands are built for future. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it's just going back, like, you know, we are, our whole platform is built around the day-to-day -day operations of the locations and, mm -hmm. and making sure that they are consistent and that you have everybody on the same operational cadence and that you are checking the little things that matter to your customers and to your business. And you would think that like, uh, you would think that I was selling like, you know, I don't know, like moon rocks for your business. Like people just, that nobody, that's the hardest part of the of restaurant operations or multi-unit operations across the board is delivering that quality of service across locations and you know it, it's just I, I i feel like that a lot of chains have just kind of thrown their hands up in the air and said this is as good as it's going to get and and you know i'm a big believer in the pareto principle as well the 80 20 rule and i feel like 80 percent of the meals that i have in restaurants and i eat out quite a bit I just leave going, that was food. I ate it. Let's go home. You know what I mean? Like, they're so rare these days uh, that you go to a restaurant and you leave and you go, every single bite of that meal was perfect. You know what I mean? It was just amazing. You know what I mean? 
Right. Like I don't right. know if you experience the same thing in India, that, but like. Yeah, yeah, of course. Many brands. I mean, you know, a lot of good brands out here, and and that's how they've grown, right? Uh, customers, customers are acquired, and and customers keep coming back, and that's how brands are built, as I say. So therefore, uh, you know, that's the aha moment for any brand, and that's when they start scaling. Yeah. Well, and I've been blessed in that I worked for Quiznos at the top of their of their downfall, like the beginning of the downfall. So I saw what that looked like. And I also worked for another brand um, that was in its heyday and is still doing great today. And so I've had, I've been very blessed in that in my restaurant career, I've had the opportunity to work for somebody who was dying and somebody who was at the top of their game when they were at the top of their game. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. uh, and so I got to see both. And you, you've and, seen the entire, you've seen the entire spectrum of 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 zero to hundred. Yeah, it and it is, and you know, it yeah, it's just kind of a bummer that like eighty percent of the food that you buy is just yeah, yeah, okay, I ate there. It's great. Right. We'll go back, I guess. You know, it just that's not what it was supposed to be, and it, that's where it's gotten, and. Uh, you know, I just, it is a, just a real bummer about that. Okay. So number five, I need a war story. So a war story is going to be something that was funny, something that was cringeworthy, something you can't believe you got through. Um, it could be with your current, it could just be whatever, just in your current business. It could be with something that happened at one of your stores or just with building the company. I just want a great, like wrap it up story. You know what, early on when we were building this entire platform, when we thought of evolving from being a traditional cloud kitchen player to now being a cloud kitchen platform and a hyper-local expansion platform, uh, we started looking out for customers, right? We reached out to multiple brands, we reached out to multiple uh, multiple kitchens, and, and, and we started this entire platform. Um, we didn't get a lot of positive response from brands. You know, there was no credibility of the platform. We just started out. Uh, we were we were in say about August September. Then I reached out to Baskin Robbins, and and we got a response from them. We went on a first call. We went on a second call. We went on a third call. We finally started negotiating terms. We we signed the brand, and then there was no looking back from there. You know, we signed Cavinters. It's a leading dairy brand in India. That was the second brand we signed. That was also a deal with a large vision with them, right? Uh, and then we raised our first round of capital in April. We scaled up to the second city in June. Uh, we're now looking to raise our next round of capital, and and we're now going to be entering the third city very soon. So you know, it's just that one contract, or it's just that one brand that you onboard that kind of changes the entire game. And that's what happened with us when things were going south. It's just that one brand, or that one contract, or that one move that kind of changes the direction of the entire play. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. What you you know. You're you're trying to grow this business from nothing because that's what we did too. We bootstrapped our business. We haven't raised any capital yet. We've been working on it since about the same time you did, January of 2015. And right. you know, we're out there, we're hammering. And I remember at one point, like about, I don't know, maybe 14 months in, we lost our biggest customer of that time, who wasn't even a big customer, but it was like uh at that point it was like 25 percent of our revenue and it's like what a gut punch like you literally go to yourself like what am i doing i could go get a day job and like you know 
<laughs> I could go yeah, yeah. shut this thing down, go get a job, and make twice as much money. But that's yeah, exciting, but, you, know, you know. The journey should be full of ups and downs. You know, things should go yeah, south because that's when you see things going north, right? So it's, yeah. it's very important to experience both sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. And then, yeah, cut to 2019. We have our best year ever, and we close major brands. And it's like, and now it's like sometimes we'll get a deal, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, that feels kind of like not as big as I hoped it would have been. Darn. And then I have to go back and go you would have literally killed somebody for this deal in 2016. You know what I mean? So you can't complain. Just shut up and keep moving forward because it's all adding up slowly, you know, and uh, it's like a snowball rolling down a mountain and turns into a, an avalanche, you know? You're at the, we're at the top, we're rolling down and we're getting bigger every day. But uh, wow, well, this was so much fun to talk to you. Um, out of and I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's late there, and uh, and I'm sure you probably want to get to sleep. But I, I really appreciate you being up on the Order Up show, and I will put your website in the show notes. Um, sure. So take care. Good luck in your third capital raise. And if you ever need anything uh, from us, please don't hesitate to reach out. For sure. Sounds good, Tommy. Take care, sir. Thank you.